I would say building a startup in general is not easy. There's, I think it has the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And it takes a lot of fortitude to be able to withstand all of those lows. And you're definitely going to have more lows than you are highs. And so you need to, you need to, to remember those highs when the lows occur. Not that, that we're unsuccessful or anything, but it, there's challenges yeah. and you have to re, be really nimble. And my first advice to anyone that is looking to do a startup is to make sure that you're, that you're prepared. And I think when I quit my job in August of 2019, I thought that I would go a much shorter amount of time without a salary. And so I would say just make sure you're financially prepared that whatever time you think it's going to take you to fundraise, you should double or, or triple that because it, the, no, the time that I had was not realistic. I was very fortunate in that I, I had a support system to, to get me through. So that would be my advice. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. As some of you might already be aware of that we are building an eSports for finance platform called Insider.com. Insider.com is a place where you can go and predict prices of cryptocurrency and stocks for free and win real world rewards. It is a completely free platform to use and we built Insider because we wanted people to learn about trading and investing in a fun and exciting way. We want to use the principles of esports and gamifications to make finance more fun and engaging. Since we are building something in the esports space, there is another CEO I wanted to um, interview. His name is Dylan Senna, and he is the guest for this episode. He is building Draft Buff. What is Draft Buff? Draft Buff is a fantasy esports platform, and their mission is to make esports more fun and engaging. So if you are into esports, if you want to know about how influencer marketing works or how to get your esports startup to over 100,000 users, then this is the podcast episode for you. Dylan, it's great to have you on the show. You've done some really interesting things. And what I really like about is that you are building something that in the esports space that I'm super passionate about because I'm also building Insider, which is esports for finance. And, and you're doing something similar out um, love for you to share about about your company and what you are doing right now. Yeah, there there's definitely a lot of similarities here. So DraftBuff is a vertical community for esports fans. Our mission is really to make esports more fun and social in yeah. in a fun, free way. And so there's a few components to our platform. The main, the sort of focus of what we were doing in 2020 was very much around fantasy, providing a, a fantasy esports uh, platform similar to fantasy football in America, because it's you have these incredibly passionate fans and they just want to fill the, the void of when you're watching a broadcast for, on it, for an esports stream, you're watching it Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, but then 
after Sunday night, there's nothing to do from Monday through Thursday. And fantasy fills that void of something to look forward to, something to to work against your friends and, and compete. So that was very much the focus of 2020. Looking ahead, we're doing a lot on more of a social community side. So yes. we want to just build a more robust ecosystem where you're talking to people about esports, you're, you're posting questions about who do you think is the, who's going to do well, who's not going to do well, and just having that conversation. And so that is what we're looking to do going forward is really to just be this vertical community. And, and like the interesting thing about fantasy is you know, fantasy is you're doing stats that are based on some, or, the player, there's some kind of reality and, and there's stats that translate from that reality and, and doing the stock market is the same, right? Like it is, yes. we are doing fantasy stats based on the player performances and you're doing like fantasy stats based on the stock market. So it's, yeah. it's similar. And, and what you're describing of building this leaderboard and community, these are all things that we're also uh, doing here. So that's, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I'd also love to know a bit more about your personal journey. How did you end yeah. up with draft buff? What? How did you get started in gaming, first of all? Yeah, so I, I've been a gamer for for as long as I can remember, since I was like five years old, from the first Pokemon game to Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox, just like my whole life. And I got into Draft Buff. So I, I was a software developer at Amazon. And so I was yep. there for about four years um, after college and, and before I went full-time to Draft Buff. And about two years into my four-year tenure there, I was actually diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so I went back home to New York, New Jersey, and I was on a six-month paid medical leave where I was just paid time off, six months of not working. And and so naturally, I was playing a lot of video games and and, and I started to get into the esports scene and, and really just video games and the esports scene and the community that surrounded it just yep. became my happy place, my my medium for recovery. Yep. And, and after a treatment or two, when I started to feel better and I just didn't want my developer skills to get rusty. I, I reached out to, to one of my friends and we just started to hack on the side project. And yes. it was right when the new Call of Duty uh, game was released. And and my friend was telling me about the upcoming esports season. And I was like, oh, we should do a fantasy league for it. And, and he's, there are none. And so I just started to work on one. And that's my entrance into esports and, and into entrepreneurship, really. And so I... I fast forward six months, I finished my, my treatment and I returned to Seattle. And then for a year and a half, I was basically juggling two jobs. I was, you know, working my day job at Amazon and then I would come home from work and I would put a few hours in on, on this side project. And it started off and we weren't really getting, it was a side project that wasn't the greatest platform. We weren't getting absurd um, users or anything. And over time, we just started to to start to see some really good traction And until I finally made the plunge to, to go full-time. And so that's just like how I, I got into to entrepreneurship. Oh, that's and, great. Great story. How do you guys fund it at the moment? Yeah, timeline-wise, I, I quit in in the summer of 2019. And then we also were the sort of, 
we were trying to originally be this fan duel DraftKings of esports, so more on like yeah. the gambling route, and and we yeah. pivoted to a free and social, more similar to to what you're trying to do. Yeah, and and so we were also a website, and we pivoted to an app, and so we basically spent the whole few months building out this new product and then our app. And then we launched that basically like December of 2019. So 2020 was really our our first full year in operation. And we were pretty much bootstrapping from that time until until July when we raised like a pre-seed round. Yeah. And so we put some of our own money in. We, my, my co-founder and I were, were very fortunate in that I had a cushion from Amazon and, and he previously was at Microsoft and then a VR startup. And so we had some cushion and we put some of our own cash and then we were able to do a pre-seed in July that we got some of our, our friends and family and, and some additional investors in. It's basically bootstrapping from that first day of quitting until July, so a year, and then and then had some capital to, to extend that further. Oh, that's great. And what's your plan next? Do you do a seed round or or do you intend to bootstrap it rest of the way? Yeah, we. so I've started the seed fundraising process, um, but we're also looking at a few other options as well. So that's like crowdfunding the, and stuff. Yeah, and so that that uh, the route that we're looking at right now, it's there's definitely challenges in the esports market with respect to fundraising. I think, especially at our stage with without revenue, there are challenges in in, in being yes. able to deliver that, and we're doing what we can to be to set us up for success. That makes yeah, that makes so much sense. I have a quick question about how in in esports and gaming and all these things community is everything and that kind of can determine the success or failure of even a venture how are you guys building the community for draft buff yeah so i would say for 2020 the the community has very very much been micro communities if you think of a fantasy league you are playing with three to nine of your closest friends and yes. that is your community. And, and then you're playing with them for the entire season. Yeah. And so that was very much our focus in 2020. And, and, and that we had thousands of those communities, not necessarily interacting with other communities in, in the platform. Some of the things that we're working on now is, is having more open public conversations to get all of the users to talk about those things. And some of the things that we're doing are, just like we have some user generated content to to stir that conversation there's just incredibly passionate esports fans that want to both voice uh their opinion and debate other people's opinions and so that just breeds this ecosystem that we don't need to necessarily create ourselves which is the ideal sort of product that it just creates itself. So that that's some of the things that we're currently exploring right now. I think in the esports world right now, and I think in, in finance, I guess it's similar. Reddit is more or less the dominant social platform yes. for that conversation. And there is one exception. Discord is yeah, pretty yeah. groups on Discords are pretty big. Yeah. That's definitely true. Discord is is similar in that it's a, a micro community, and it's also yes. just more freeform text. And yeah. I think if you wanted to post a longer analysis, Reddit is is going to be your place for that. 
And and so like in, in esports, let's say a really big event happens. You're you want to you go to Reddit right now to see what are, people are saying about it, right? Like almost yes. a, a pulse of the community. And I think the one thing that we're really going to try to do in 2020 is are we able to provide a more esports tailored experience that Reddit is not able to provide? And, and I think the ways that we can do that would be just providing context, such as yes. player stats and player box scores. These are things that we can easily build into the, the platform that, that Reddit can't. And, and so yes. I think that'll stir better conversation. And I think if you provide a, a stock chart, you can do that yes better than a wall street bets reddit post so i think that's how we're thinking about it yeah that that makes um so much sense it's how have you guys acquired all the users so far or or how many users have you guys got yeah so for 2020 we got over a hundred thousand users into the draft buff ecosystem esports are seasonal so that means that it's uh, it's going to fluctuate from month over month and there's an, an off season where you know those users are not playing and then they they reactivate when the season returns uh, whereas the stock market never sleeps so there's definitely advantages but yeah the market never sleeps stock market yeah. still does <laughs> but but yeah like we've we basically were bootstrapping for the majority of the year and we're able to acquire over 100,000 users, which is, just, in my mind, incredibly successful. Super cool, man. Super. Well done. Well done for yeah. that. And most of that has been influencer marketing. In esports, you have influencers and brands that are just, it's a very esports, uh, influencer uh, dominant industry and that works really well for our marketing strategy and and so that has been most successful for us we've done some some paid advertising and, and we've done a lot of other things but that's been our, our our most successful one the the other sort of huge benefit to our platform is a fantasy league because you are playing it with your friends the product is inherently viral and yes. so the, we have a concept of a commissioner, the person who creates the league. And they if you get that commissioner on, their job is to then invite three to nine of their friends. And you get that one person to then invite nine friends, your CPA is really 10x less than it, yeah. it would normally be. And so that works really well for a, a viral social free product. Yeah, but influencer was marketing was the key for us as well when I was at yeah. Uproar, and that's how we scaled yeah. it up to three hundred thousand users and stuff. Yeah, so it, it was pretty much mostly driven on back of the key influencers and stuff. Yeah. How do you find and sign these influencers up? Yeah, it's finding the right influencer is not easy. We we have to do our homework. We it's a lot of conversations with with either the agents or the influencers themselves and going through their content and seeing if do is this something that their followers would enjoy? And so it's a lot of just going about talking to our users and seeing who do they follow? Who, who are they watching on Twitch or, or YouTube? And and so it's a lot of just asking around and, and researching. And what sort of influencers generally do you go for? Do you go for like larger or micro influencers or yeah. do they have to have, I don't know, between 5,000 to 50,000 subscribers on YouTube or what's your, if do you have a strategy around that or is it just 
Yeah, it, it, it's both. So I would say in general, micro influencers are more successful and cheaper. Mm-hmm. But having, if you have a hundred micro influencers uh, versus one macro influencer, maybe you'll get better CPA and and better conversion and everything on the micro mm-hmm. ones. But a hundred influencers is, is a lot to manage. And, yeah. and so there are trade-offs there. Yeah. There's, there's the obvious time cost, you know, it's a mixture of both for us. There's many esports markets. And so every market is different and it needs to be approached differently, both in the message, but also the, what influencer is going to hit or not. And, yeah. and I think we're, for example, for call of duty, we're, we're like a little bit more, it's more of a grassroots community. And and so we're able to, I think, get promotions from influencers at a much lower rate because they, they they just want to see their scene grow. Like they, they have a vested interest and as do we to grow the scene. Whereas there's another esport market, the League of Legends space, where I think the influencers are a little bit more like our scene, we're number one, like we're the biggest market. I want the cash. And and so I think there's different CPA ramifications of that, <laughs> that, that need to also then dictate, are we getting more micro or macro influencers? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So where do you see the next few years? What's your vision for draft buff in terms of users, in terms of features, product, all that? Yeah, I would say the future is definitely an emphasis on this vertical community, the social community aspect, as well as just in, in you know improving the the game itself. And I like to think of just our demographic right now. It's very much a a Gen Z and millennial demographic. And if you take a 13-year-old right now, they're they're a fan of esports. They're watching all of their their favorite matches on Twitch right now. And they may not even follow any traditional sports. And and so I think when I look to see what is DraftLuff's future in, in three to five years, that kid is now 16, 18 years old. What do we see that person doing? How are they engaging in esports as both DraftBuff continues to grow as well as the scene continues to grow? And really just how are we going to provide a fan experience that that adheres to what they want. And, and so I think it's an emphasis on, on providing a community, on games, on they, as there's new esport markets that, that come up, new, there's new, always new games providing new experiences for those, as well as just like expanding it globally. There, we're not localized right now, so localized go into additional markets. Uh, yeah. There's a huge esports surgence right now in 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 Southeast Asia, there's a huge surgence in Latin America, in your in Korea and and China. You're already you know it's already widely adopted, and so yeah. just providing experience for them. And last year in, in 2020, there were 500 million esports fans, and yes. that's growing. It'll be I think a little bit shy of 700 bill or 700 million in 2023, and and so really just providing. An experience to as many of those people as possible. 
And if we're able to to capture anywhere from five to to ten percent of that in in the next five years, and have ten million users on our platform, we'll be incredibly yeah. successful. That's very cool. I'm actually venture partner for an Indonesian venture capital firm, and mm-hmm. I often recommend interesting startups to them. They invest in Series A and beyond startups, but. They, that's one of their key focuses also like esports because they've seen the growth in yeah. Indonesia and Indonesia is nearly 300 million people which is yeah. similar to US and growing insanely fast they a lot of southeast asia and and asian countries we never got i i grew up in india we never got desktop computers we went straight from nothing to mobile phones with internet so we pretty much that's why you would see mobile products that are far superior in the East coming out, which West hasn't thought about. The recent one is Billy Billy. I don't know mm. if you even know about that. Have you heard of that? Product? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah, not many people know about it, but it's the new <laughs> it's the new TikTok and just all sorts of things because they have only known the small vertical screen. And it's, I think, very smart for you guys. The other day I was talking with a founder from India in the esports space. He said when they made their esports startup, it's a mobile app live in India. In the first 10 days, they got 1 million users. Wow. First 10 days of being live it is insane because the the population is so high in some of these markets and it is just so easy to grow and they're mobile first most of those that would be the only internet access they would have in their house or in their apartment or wherever they live yeah it's yeah I, i think it's an incredibly interesting market for a few reasons i think the insane amounts of users there but it's still a little the bit lower. Per user LTV. Is very, yes, yeah. yes. But but I think the next few years will be there'll be an an upward shift in that. And, and oh, I think absolutely. that and I think that is what is most promising for, for us and as well as I think all the esports market as a whole, if if esports is able to tap into the Indian market and start to you know accrue yes. additional revenue, then it's that's just a, a cash sort of pipeline to tap into. Absolutely, it is just going to grow, and the number of unicorns being born in in that part of the world is is growing so rapidly because there's so much opportunity there. So yeah, everyone has to start from somewhere. And yeah, those yeah. countries are growing like 10-15% a year um, yeah. in yeah GDP in all, a lot of measures, yes. What's also good about India is that most people speak English, so you yes. don't necessarily need to like, translate to Hindi or, or yeah. any other any language other regional in, languages. In yeah, yeah, that's very true. Especially yeah. people who have mobile internet, they're online, they all speak English, and and it's yeah. same in Philippines. And people yeah. use, in fact, in Southeast Asia, Philippines as a test market because it's hundred hundred twenty yeah. million people, so it's yeah. like a state in India rather than or instead of whole of India, which can be diverse and big. So yeah, Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia are some other in really key interesting markets. But yeah, it's very interesting times. What has been the one most challenging part of running a startup? What advice do you have for anyone building a startup in e-sports space? Sorry. It's a good question. I think I have, I would say building a startup in general is not easy. There's, I think it has the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And it takes a lot of fortitude to be able to withstand all of those lows. And you're definitely going to have more lows than you are highs. And so you need to you need to to remember those highs when the lows occur. Not that that we're 
unsuccessful or anything, but there's challenges and you have to be really nimble. And my first advice to anyone that is looking to do a startup is to make sure that you're, that you're prepared. And I think when I quit my job in August of 2019, I thought that I would go a much shorter amount of time without a salary. And so I would say, just make sure you're financially prepared that whatever time you think it's going to take you to fundraise, you should double or, or triple that because it, the, no, the time that I had was not realistic. I was very fortunate in that I I had a support system to to get me through. So that would be my advice for general startup people. Within the esports space, I think it's a good question. I think you have to just, I think you truly need to understand esports. I think there's a lot of people coming into the space because they see it as this hype buzzword. And there'll be a report that says that League of Legends is the you know third most popular esport in America. And, and so you need to... There's Sport a lot in of, America. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there's a lot of hype about it. And, and first off, that hype is, is justified. But that also leads to a lot of, of bandwagoners, a lot of your traditional people who only know sports to just be like, oh, we can do exactly what we were doing in the sports space and copy paste that into the esports space. And, and that's just not the reality. You're looking at completely different, it's just a completely different market. You're looking at yes. different demographics and, and you need to be creative uh, about what people like, what they want in this space, and and just truly understand the motives of them. I think that it would be my biggest takeaway for like entrepreneurship in the esports space. That's very cool. Before you go, I have this sort of three quick questions, and that is, who is your favorite influencer or YouTuber or a Twitch person or um, mm. whichever media you consume? Yeah. Right now, I've been watching a lot of Hikaru on Twitch. He's been streaming chess. I don't know if you know, he's a a GM and he's been killing it in the Twitch scene. And he's been really enjoyable to watch. And I think it's different from gaming um, or like your traditional video game because you can have some amount of learning. So I think that's cool. But I've been a a follower of Nick Merckx for a while. He he streams Call of Duty and Fortnite. And so I've watched him for many years. Your favorite video game of all time or a, any game of all time? My favorite video game of all time, I think I am going to say uh, Bioshock 1. I really like the storyline of it. It was just, I think, one of those video games where it shows how video games is more than just a game. It's It's this sort of convergence of of gaming and and you know entertainment and it just told a story in a really unique way and it was just you also were in the driver's seat on how you want that story to be told and and so i thought that was just a a fantastic way of, of presenting this medium yeah. Oh, look, I just cannot. I've been a gamer most of my life. That's why I wanted to work in esports and all that. Yeah. And and just games start to become identities of people. And yeah. some people play games 
like I've had friends who have played over 10,000 hours of one single game. Yeah. So, which is common in esports. Most people in esports, like ask any esports um, stars, and how many hours have you played League of Legends or Call of Duty <laughs> or Overwatch? And they'll tell yeah. you, you know, it's, it's in five figures, like 10,000, 12,000, yeah. 14,000 hours. It's crazy. And when you do something for so long, it becomes part of your identity. Anyway, yeah. second to last question that is, if you had to start all over again what would you do differently it's a good question <sighs> so i mean when we first started we were just trying to be gambling i think if you think of uh, a fantasy in sports the sports event, world it, it's a natural sort of translation let's do this in esports and and so that was one of our first pivots to go free and social. So I definitely think if we were to have done that pivot sooner, we could have gotten more community, a, a better jump start on some of our community interactions. So I think that would be one thing that I would recommend that we redo over. I've definitely made mistakes on on the marketing side. I've taken bad marketing deals that I thought were going to be the this super successful deal. And then I see the influencer post a tweet and I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting the interactions that I want. So there's definitely smaller things that I, I wish I've done differently. And I think I'm just constantly learning, which I think is, is really cool. And, and I think if I didn't do some things, I wouldn't have learned them. And then maybe that I would be worse off anyway. But I think those, that would be my biggest thing. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you are like so humble and always learning and admitting to it because a, a startup is not one idea, but it is 10,000 ideas. It would yeah. be multiple ideas every week on how to market it or how to promote it or what type yeah. of influence or what type of messaging. And it's all trial and error and just yeah. continuously learning and you'll still be learning 10 years later. So that's See. just the process of uh, yeah becoming or running a startup. The last thing is, do you have a ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for investors or team members or anything? Yeah, I would say we're looking to to raise capital. And if there are any investors that are interested in our mission, feel free to reach out to me and I would love to tell you more about it. How much are you guys raising? So we're looking to do a seed raise for 1.3 million. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. That sounds really good. So yeah, I just wanted to wish you best of luck and thank you so much for your time. It's been extremely enlightening and interesting to talk with someone else who's in the same space and likewise sports and and yeah look forward to your journey i'll put all the links to all your social profiles and to your company and everything wherever this goes Awesome. Th thank you so much for, for taking the time here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.